All right, we're going to be diving into Philippians 1.6, and Philippians is one of my favorite books of Scripture, although there's so many. I think all of them are my favorite books in Scripture for one reason or another, but definitely Philippians is a big one. Um, So finding hope in the promises of God. What a wonderful topic. Um, We have already had four amazing messages on this topic, and I would encourage you to take the time, maybe between tonight and March's meeting, which remember we're meeting on the 3rd, the 18th, the third Monday in the month instead of the second. So between that time, you know, go online, go, go to the church's website and go to the sermons and you can bring up um, the teacher name and stuff and you can um, listen to those messages and just get encouraged by learning and hearing again about the promises of God that we've been through. Um, so Anne Bradley did start us off in September with a study of Noah and the flood and his rainbow and the Noah, Noah, Noahic, I knew I was going to pronounce that wrong, Noahic covenant. Um, in October, Cammie Scott came and taught us about Psalm 8411, which is no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Remember that? And you'll hear some of the similar truths about that promise and the promise we're going to talk about kind of are married together in certain ways. Janelle in November came and taught us about Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, um, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Such wonderful truths. And then last month, Lauren Brown came and taught us out of Jeremiah, which is one of Anne Bradley's favorite persons and book. Um, she taught us about that they shall be my people, talking about God, saying that they will be my people and I will be their God. Our Lord is personal and seeks to bring us close to his side. So to introduce our topic tonight, I'd like to just share with you that I have a very special, personal landmark anniversary date that is coming up. This coming May 26 is the 50th anniversary of my salvation from sin and the judgment to come by the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus. Um, I am amazed and so thankful that it has been this long. And to be honest, I am a little um, ashamed somewhat at the same time. Questions like, why am I not stronger in my faith? Do you think after 50 years, sheesh, Um, why do I still struggle with some of the same sins? I'm sure some of you feel the same way. And after all this time, shouldn't I be a quote-unquote better Christian? You would think. Maybe you feel the same way. Um, or, or maybe, you know, some of you have loved the Savior for maybe five years, maybe ten years. And you've thought, how can I ever measure up to what I read in Scripture? In the end, will God reject me? Do you cry aloud like I do with Apostle Paul when he writes in Romans 7.24, O wretched man or woman that I am, Who will set me free from this body of sin and death? Well, tonight's promise will help with some of these and other concerns about our growth in Christ. 
or the lack of growth. But first, I want to remind you that God's promises are based on who he is, the summation of all of his attributes, which is what we studied in this group a couple of years ago. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He doesn't change. He is all-loving. He is full of mercy. And when God gives a promise, Hebrews 6 tells us that he swears by his own name, for there is no one higher than he, and he cannot lie. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10 says this, remember this and be assured, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. This promise is wrapped up in the sovereignty of Almighty God. So point number one on your outline, what, what is our need for this promise? I'm going to give you three F's, not a grade. It's just they start with F. So, yeah. So the first one, well, we um, are fearful. It's true. We don't know what the future holds. We don't even know what the next hour will bring to us. And we have absolutely no control over it. Some of you are already going through very high trial, hard trials. Some of you have been through hard trials in the past. Maybe finances are super tight. Maybe a loss of a job, loss of a loved one. Maybe it's difficult medical issues, a hard diagnosis. Maybe it's a troubled marriage. Maybe you were thinking, if one more thing happens, I'm going to crumble. And some of you may even think that, that you believe in Jesus, um, and you know that he has forgiven you, but you are fearful that he might think that you are a lost cause, and that spiritual growth is beyond your reach. So we are fearful of many things. Secondly, we are forgetful. Many things that I will be saying tonight were said in October when Cammie taught us, but we have already forgotten or have pushed some of those thoughts out of our minds. Second Peter 1, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. And thirdly, why we need this promise is that we are foolish, right? We have the word of God clearly written to us to comfort and to guide us and to give us hope. But we neglect it. We have gazillions, like lots, of sermons and lessons and blogs and podcasts and books and worship music at our fingertips. 
that we can fill our minds with, with the word of life, with the words of life. And yet, we spend our time on Facebook or Instagram, in- Instagram, right? Yeah, or, or Pinterest. Isn't that how you pronounce that? Pinterest. Yeah, Pinterest. That's a hole to go into, right? Or Netflix. Yeah, scrolling through Netflix. What should we watch? What should we watch? That happens at my house sometimes. Or news threads. And they take us down black holes of darkness and do not feed our souls. We can be foolish. So, yes, we need this promise. So, point number two what is this promise? Let's look at our passage. Okay? So, open your Bibles if you have them with you or your phones, but don't be looking at those sites. (laughs) I have spies around the room and they're going to check you out. No looking, no looking at your emails. No looking at your texts. Just look at the word of God. Okay? So look at Philippians 1. Okay, first a little bit of background. So Philippi was the first city in Macedonia that Paul began a church in during his second missionary journey. And you can read all about it in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 12 through 40. Remember Lydia? She was the seller of purple fabric. She's in that story. Really great things that are in there. Um, The letter to Philippians was written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, somewhere around the time of A.D. 60 to 62. And it was about 10 years after the church was started that he did this. And it is said that the theme of the book is joy. Imagine that. Paul, sitting in a jail, in chains, not a lot of people around, all this stuff. He's writing a letter to the Philippian people about joy. Isn't that amazing? In fact, the word joy or rejoice or other renditions of that word are repeated at least 16 times. And this is a small epistle. It only has four chapters. So 16 times with one of those forms of words is is huge. So this apostle, this apostle, this epistle was written to encourage the Philippians. So here we go. Let's start off. We're going to read. Read this together with me. You don't have to read it out loud if you don't want to, but go ahead. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now hold on. Now notice that Paul's reason for his thankfulness and joy was quote, in view of or because of their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippian church was filled with believers who continued on their faith after conversion and grew in their sanctification. And then in verse 11, it also says that they are filled with the fruit of righteousness. 
And then Paul continues with our verse, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I use the New American Standard Old Version Bible. So if, you're, if, you're, if you memorize that verse in a different version and it sounds a little funny, that's why. Kind of old school. So we're going to go through this verse and um, talk about all the different words and try to figure out what exactly it's being said. So it begins, I am confident of this very thing. I, of course, is Paul, the Apostle Paul. And then confident. So in the regular dictionary, that's saying that it's a feeling of uh, being sure about something. But in what I like to call my vines, it's vines, um, it's, it's an expository dictionary of the New Testament words. It's a pretty big, thick book, red cover, if you remember that at all, uh, by, by W.E. Vine. So I call it my vines just because I, I'm in that book a lot. <laughs> so it talks about this word confident, and it says it's a verb, and it's putting our trust into something because of the trustable nature of the thing. That's a little more expansive than just feeling sure about something. So I like to talk about it being absolutely convinced. In this case also, it points to the next phrase, and that is what Paul was confident about. And the next part of that phrase is that he. So that he who began a good work in you. He Who's that he? The very God, the only God, Yahweh, no one else. That he began. God began the good work. After Jesus had walked on the water and stilled the storm in the middle of the sea, the multitude that had been on the other side and had partaken in the meal that Christ had provided um, they realized that Jesus was on the other side of the sea, and they went over there, and understandably, they had some questions. How did you get here? When did you get here? We didn't see you go into a boat. How did that happen? But that's not what they asked him right away. They said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, Jesus knew that they were pretty much interested in when's the next meal. What are we going to see from you? We want to see more miracles. But Jesus answered them and answered them what the truth was. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work that you need to do is to have faith in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense to you, that it's a work, but it's faith? It's not work, but it's faith. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So that is the good work. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 5, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of, 
not as a result of works that no one should boast. He reached out to me. He opened my eyes. He gave me understanding that I was a sinner and I needed his forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sins, and he granted me repentance. It is all his doing. So this is the good work that began in us who are saved. It is the work of God alone. Well, we'll have to move along. Otherwise, we won't have enough time for the rest of this. (laughs) The next phrase. We'll perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Perfect. It's also a verb. It's an action word. To bring through to the end, to fully complete. It's continuous, present tense, and it indicates a process. To accomplish perfectly, and we'll carry it onward towards completion, and it will present it complete. So do you see? It's, this is the action, right? The good work began, and it continues all the way through. But Karen, what does it mean to perfect the good work that he started? Does that mean that the good work was not perfect? And that's the difference. Perfect and perfect are two different words. But still, it's a good question. And the answer is no, or should I say, may it never be. It is the extension of it. It is the fullness of it. Well, what happens when we become believers in Christ? You were dead in sin, and now you're alive in God, Ephesians 2. You were lost, and now you are found. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5.8. You were an enemy of God, and you are now his daughter, Romans 5.10. You were condemned, and now you are forgiven, Romans 8.1. These things and many others happened in an instant, but all of them have effects for the rest of our lives. Our pastor, John MacArthur, said this um, this way in a sermon from 1988. I so enjoyed listening to our John from way back then. That's when he spoke really fast. He's like, he's like um, Abner now, how you can't, you can't keep up with him. You know, you couldn't keep up with John. Well, you can hardly keep up with him now anyways. But back then it was like, <laughs> anyway, so he said, and this is like, this is, this is John, the way he would always speak and the way he speaks now. John, uh, God who saved you, God who started a noble work, that is, starts the process of sanctification and brings it to glorification, will perfect it, really perfect it, compound, bring it to its fullest conclusion, to its complete end. Paul does not say, I hope this works out. And that's the end of the quote. And I, I like to say, I think it'll happen. No. Remember that he said he was confident. Paul was confident. It will happen. And that leads us to our last phrase. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Also in verse 10, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. 
So there is a difference between the day of the Lord, which is spoken of many times throughout Scripture and refers to the coming judgment day, and the day, and the, different from the day of Christ Jesus, or the day of the Lord Jesus, or the day of Christ. Those are all kind of the same. That's different from the day of the Lord. In this context, it is speaking of the coming of Jesus to be with his saints when we shall see him as he is in 1 John 3, 2. William Henderson, in his commentary on Philippians, says, It is called the day of Christ Jesus because on that day he will be manifested in glory, will be met by his church, by his bride, the church, will judge and will thus be publicly vindicated. So this promise, in a nutshell, is God, who began the good work of salvation and sanctification in you, will keep you and complete the work from that day onward to the day of Christ Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, and another translation says that are, are being changed into his likeness. Doesn't that just blow your mind when you think about that, that his promise is that we will be like him? Yeah. Now, there's a little caveat here. Some would think that all they need to do is get saved and then sit back and God will take care of all the rest. It's that let go and let God do it. Like this, like, okay, God, do it. <laughs> Nothing's happening. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's read on. In Philippians chapter 2, you knew I was going to go here, to verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And another passage, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And then verse 3, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Another passage you can read later is 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. So we are to grow to be like Christ. And we have work to do in order to do that. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So don't be satisfied with where you are spiritually. Press on to Christ's likeness as he moves in your life and conforms you into his image by the Holy Spirit. Grow now, not next week, not next month. Submit now. If there's something that he's teaching you, 
Learn it now. Trust in his perfect plan to make you like Jesus. I do need to give one word of warning. 1 John 2, 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word and in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If you say that you are a believer, but you are not growing in Christ-likeness, there is a possibility that you are not a true believer. Growth and sanctification is a good indication that you are indeed a true believer. Now, I said it's a good indication. It's not an absolute proof because you can kind of fake things. Talk to your table leader about this if you have questions about this. And know this, too, that I am not saying that you need to be perfect now. None of us are. But do desire it and pursue it. Are you pursuing growth? And to the true believer, I want to add that interwoven in this promise that God will change you into the image of his son, there is also the promise that you can never be separated from the love of God. And we don't have the time really to delve in fully into the depth of this glorious truth. That will be for another night. But let me just touch on it. I'll give you a couple of verses, just a couple of thoughts. Um, in the massive book, Biblical Doctor, Doctrine by John MacArthur and Richard Mayhew, it's that big white book. Have you, ever, have you seen it? Do some of you have it? It's an excellent resource, excellent resource. There's this quote in there. And it says, the, it's a little long, so bear with me. The believer's security is grounded in the merits of Christ's saving work and the efficacy of his present intercession. For this reason, Paul writes, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And that's Romans 8, 33 through 34. Christ's death, resurrection, and present intercession constitute the basis on which no charge against his people will ever stand. Because he has died, has risen, and is interceding before the Father, no one will separate us from his love. And I have to add these delicious verses. Romans eight thirty five. And 38 and 39. And you probably have some of these memorized, so go ahead and quote them with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then we move on to the next to verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, right, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
So point number three, how does this promise help? Oh, in so many ways. And you're going to talk about this at your tables. And uh, by the way, we're going to have lots of time to talk, which is great at our tables. I tried to keep it a little short-ish, whatever. So I just came up with a few little ways, okay? Number one, joy. It gives me joy, this promise. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord because of its, and I, I added in, because of its eternal benefits and quality. And one of the reasons why I love that verse is because that's Bob Houghton's favorite verse. We love our Bob. And it still is his favorite verse. So it brings you joy. When we see that we are growing in Christ-likeness, it produces great joy, doesn't it? To know that God is really at work in your life and he brings you through something and you understand it and then you believe in him and trust in him and I'm growing. This is what the Lord wants me to do. What a wonderful feeling. So just yesterday, um, I was having a conversation with Laura and with Abby from my table over there. We were talking yesterday after joint airs, and we were talking about this very thing, and we were talking about that our hearts almost explode with joy when we realize that we are growing in the understanding of God's word and how it changes us. And it's interesting how I think a lot of us, we can, we can see a difference between time that we were a believer and we were just kind of doing the motions and doing the thing and, and we're, we're enjoying life and we're loving the Lord and we're, um, we're, we're worshiping him and doing all these things, but not just really growing. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're listening to some sermon or whatever and it produces a question in you and you go home and you look it up and you read some things and you talk to somebody and you realize, oh, well, that means this and this and this and oh my goodness, and that means that this is true and that is true and and you start growing, and then you start growing some more, and you start growing some more, and you realize there is something to this thing about, like, getting into this Bible and studying it and learning it and being challenged by it, and that's what causes the growth. What joy that produces. It's amazing. So... um, I lost my place on here. Of course not. Of course I did. <laughs> um, and then it also brings us joy when we know that he will continue to change us and to grow us until we see him in glory. That's not going to stop. Second thing that I think that this promise helps with is that it does help us in trial. And, and we, uh, um, Susie told us a lot about that, about learning to trust God through trial. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In Romans eight twenty eight, you also have this one memorized, I'm sure, maybe. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Have you had this experience before where you have 
been talking with people who are not believers, and they'll say, oh, you know, I this happened yesterday, and, and I know, you know, everything happens for a reason, and so, and then this happened, and it was really good, you know, so that, you know, that's right, right? <laughs> no, they just don't get it. <laughs> and we know that this verse, it says, to those who love God, right? God is involved intricately in our lives to bring us through events that have perfect reason in it from his standpoint and to make us stronger and to grow us. So you may not know the entire exact reason for your trials, but you do know that there's purpose in them, and that is for your growth and for his glory. Thomas Watson, who was a 17th century pastor in England, he wrote a book um, called All Things for Good. Well, it was called something else when he first wrote it, but then it got changed to All Things for Good. And it focuses on Romans 8.28. Um, Nancy Smith, where are you, Nancy? Where are you, Nancy? There you're over there. there. She loaned me her copy of that, which was so sweet of her to do. And she had already read it, and I could tell because, like, every other paragraph, star, 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 da, da, da. Oh, my goodness. She had it all chalked up. I didn't have to read in between. I just would read the underlying <laughs> things. Those were the good stuff, right? I was so thankful that she loaned that to me because it is there's so much in there that is just amazing. Um, yeah, I, and I haven't finished it yet, so I told her that I'm keeping it for a while so I can finish it. But anyways, um, and, it, and it has helped me to prepare for some of this lesson. It is so rich. So one statement that he made was this. Afflictions are the medicine which God uses to carry off our spiritual diseases. They cure the tumor of pride, the fever of lust, the dropsy. It's kind of interesting word, right? Dropsy of covetedness. Do they not then work for good? They do. All of them do. So when I was young and before, yeah, I was young. I'm not young anymore. When I was young and before Joe and I were married, I was in a relationship with an amazing young man. He was the one. He was, I could tell you, but I'm not. Anyways, I was head over heels in like with him. Because back then we didn't say love until it was like serious, you know. So it was, I was really in like. I'm like really in like. <laughs> Anyways, well, he broke up with me. Very kindly. He was kind about it. I was devastated. <laughs> devastated. But interestingly enough, shortly before we had that relationship, I had gone to a ladies' retreat here at Grace, um, and where one of the leaders taught us, and they taught us uh, on Matthew 7, 9 through 11, which is, um, or what man is there among you? When his son asks for a loaf, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks you for a fish, and you give him a snake, for he will not give you a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? So there I am, sitting in my car, sobbing. 
crying out to God, oh, Lord, this really looks like a snake. It acts like a snake, and it bites like a snake. (laughs) But I know, I know that it is a fish. Because you only give good things to your children. Seriously. And God grew me through that trial. I know you think that's silly, but, but come on. He grew me through that trial. I was young. Gonna say, because I trusted the truth of his word, and it taught me to trust him all the more in subsequent trials. I could look back on that trial and see how the Lord helped me. Yeah, I was emotional. Yeah, I was devastated. Yeah, I was really hurt. And yeah, I was thinking, "Uh there he goes, the perfect one. And what's the rest of the story? Well, shortly after this time, Joe and I started dating. And he became my true the one. And we have been sweethearts for 42 years. And we have date date days at Starbucks on Saturdays. (laughs) And I love that. (laughs) So a little bit more on the serious side. I was recently talking with a friend out on the patio with her. Um, whose friend is suffering, her friend, whose husband is suffering with dementia. And we had the greatest conversation, and she was just joyful, and she was just relating to me different things that were happening with him and how she was dealing with it and stuff like that. And she said, you know, I know that the Holy Spirit is still living in him. He's not going to be taken away from him. And she knew that God was going to continue to change him into the image of Christ because he had promised that. And I thought, wow, that was so encouraging that she could feel that way. And it was true. And it's true. The Holy Spirit still is in this man, and he will help him through this. She is finding hope and joy in the promise of God And this is helping her greatly through this chapter in her life. So you are sanctified by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you sit by passively and wait for sanctification to take place. You play an active role in your sanctification. Austin Duncan was uh, in the pulpit several weeks ago, and he said in a sermon on January 21st on Psalm 13, a little short little sentence, what do you feed your faith with? I thought that was profound. Hebrews 6, 13 through 14 says, for everyone who who participates only in milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Ladies, we need to feed our faith with a steady diet of his word. So thirdly, I thought up with, it helps us with a critical spirit. It might just be me but do you become frustrated with the constructions on the freeway? 
it seems to take forever. They have those billboards, I say. In fact, there are billboards right now that say, it'll be done in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Not done yet. <laughs> it is just so messy, and at times it's dangerous. Or it's just frustrating because they have lanes blocked off when there's nothing going on. <laughs> well, like I said at the beginning of my lesson, I get discouraged with myself when I haven't grown in some areas of my life. And it's like those construction zones. But this promise helps me to remember that God is working and will continue to work on me until I am with him. Also, I need to examine myself and see what I need to repent of and study the scripture that applies to my problem. But this also reminds me to look with patience instead of frustration with some of my fellow believers. None of you. None of you. And none of you that are listening to this message afterwards. Anyways, some of my fellow believers who are displaying some non-sanctified parts of their life. Um, I was remembering an old bumper sticker that used to be around all the time, and people would say it. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. That's right. Some of you remember that. And this also encourages me to pray for them, for my, for my, my friends and their sanctification. And if God leads to come alongside them, to help them. It's not my job to change them. It's God's job. And it helps me, and hopefully that will help you as well. So, are you fearful? Remember our three Fs? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are also called to according to his purpose. The promise that God will sanctify you until you are in glory will help you with your fear. Are you forgetful? I hope that this has stirred your heart to remember his promises. And are you foolish? How do you spend your time? What about your downtime, if you have any? What are you feeding on? What is nourishing your mind and soul? So much is available to you from this wonderful church and also from the churches around the world. And I couldn't end this night without putting in a plug for EWG. You, some of you who go to EWG might have recognized all the Hebrew verses that I had in here. It's in my brain. Every Woman's Grace is a wonderful women's ministry on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday evenings where you can learn how to study God's word and learn from other godly women. It's not easy. Oh, it's not easy sometimes. But you will grow, and that's exciting. If you are currently committed to being a part of EWG, would you raise your hands? Look at that. Look, look around, lady. Look at, look at. There's so many of us. Yes. Yes, EWGers. I love it. <laughs> These ladies are the ones to talk to if you are interested. We'll tell you all about it. 
If you are new to our tea, this is also a great way to learn from God's word and to get to know some other ladies who love the Lord. I hope that you feel welcome and that you will stay with us through May. We've got the third week in March coming up and then the second week in April, the second week in May left. So please stay with us and join us for that. So ladies, I'll just leave you with this last quote, this last verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many as may be the promises of God, in him they are yes. Wherefore, also by him is our amen to the glory of God through us. I'd like to end our time with a prayer from uh, the book, The Valley of the Vision. Oh, and you know, before I meant to show you, this is the little book that I told you about, about the Thomas Watson one, All Things Are Good, All Things For Good. You could probably get it on Amazon. I don't know, maybe the bookstore had it, maybe. So The Valley of Vision. And believe it or not, I opened up my Valley of Vision this morning during my quiet time, and I, I opened it up to this prayer, and it was amazing. You'll hear it. Bow your heads and pray with me as I read this. Jehovah God, thou creator, upholder, proprietor of all things, I cannot escape from thy presence or control, nor do I desire to do so. My privilege is to be under the agency of omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. Thou art love with more than parental affection. I admire thy heart, adore thy wisdom, stand in awe of thy power, abase myself before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish my fear. Allure me into thy presence. Help me to bewail and confess my sins. When I review my past guilt, I am conscious of my present unworthiness. I tremble to come to thee. I, whose foundation is in the dust, I, who have condemned thy goodness, defied thy power, trampled upon thy love, rendered myself worthy of eternal death. But my recovery cannot spring from any cause in me. I can destroy, but cannot save myself. Yet thou hast laid help on one that is mighty. For there is mercy with thee and exceeding riches in thy kindness through Jesus. May I always feel my need of him. Let thy restored joy be my strength. May it keep me from lusting after the world. Bear up my heart and mind in loss of comforts. Enliven me in the valley of death. Work in me the image of the heavenly and give me to enjoy the first fruits of spirituality. And, O oh Lord, my God, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for all these godly women in this room. I thank you for your word that are words of life, that give us hope, that gives us joy, that gives us peace with you. Lord, might we ever feed on your word, feast at your table, 
and enjoy your presence as we look forward to the day that we see you face to face. And we praise you and glorify you in the name of Jesus.